This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Scalarsa. It is Friday before the 4th of July. You know what that means? It's 4th of July weekend, a chance for, for people to hopefully have some time to spend with the family, have some time to, to get some rest, relaxation in, enjoy a bit of a holiday. Uh, I myself am coming to you from vacation down in Florida. So if it sounds a little different, it's because I'm not at my usual home studio with my pro audio setup. I'm recording this on my phone. So once again, apologies if the quality is not as good. But I did say I was going to get an episode out to discuss the U.S. Men's National Team Gold Cup roster. The roster is out. There's plenty plenty to discuss there, and I will get to it, get to all of it. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about some of the other uh, news and notes and highlights uh, from the announcement of the Gold Cup rosters. Uh, we'll also talk a little Americans abroad. Conrad De La Fuente, official to Marseille. That deal is done. We also have U.S. Women's National Team. They played the first of their two pre-Olympic warm-up matches and uh, obviously tore it up in some good storylines there. And then we'll finish up with a little MLS to talk. Obviously, it's a busy weekend in MLS as well. There's a couple of storylines there, and we'll touch on all of those. First things first, the U.S. Men's National Team Gold Cup roster is out, and there were no real, real crazy surprises there were some disappointing absences for sure, but when you really kind of had time to digest it all and once we had a chance to, to listen to and talk to and interview Greg Berhalter to get some insight, it was a little easier to understand some of the decisions and some of the absences. Uh, we have to obviously start off with the, with the good news, which is that there were some, some young players in there that you were hoping to see included. Gianluca Busio obviously headlines that list. I think a lot of people, anyone who's watching MLS these days and has a chance to watch Sporting Kansas City understands that Busio is really blossoming as a player, as a very enticing midfield prospect for the U.S. men's national team. He's in. He's in for the 23. And, and Berhalter obviously had some really good things to say about Busio and his continued development. Uh, on the bad news front, in terms of young, promising, exciting players, Caden Clark misses out. He obviously had a, recently had a, an appendectomy. I don't want to call it an emergency one because I don't know the details about it, but he did have an appendectomy. The timing did not work out, and Berhalter did pretty much acknowledge, if not for the appendectomy, he would have been part of this, this Gold Cup team. And you can understand why if you watched Caden Clark with the Red Bulls. He obviously had, he recently signed, uh, he, he recently signed com to complete a transfer. He will join RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga in January. So obviously we're talking about a very, very, very talented teenager uh, and someone who Berhalter wanted to get a look at, but unfortunately he was not able to get a look at him. Um, but I, we, it's safe to say Clark will get his chance eventually. Um, another player whose name I, I was personally surprised to see left off but then we came to find out why, is Julian Arahu. And Arahu obviously was on the preliminary roster. He's a very, very talented uh, right-back prospect, the LA Galaxy fullback. And Greg Berhalter, in his uh, press call, his Zoom call to, to break down the roster, he acknowledged that when it comes down to it, Julian Arahu's not yet ready to make a decision on the national team, on his national team future. And he's a dual national. He has national team options. Uh, obviously Mexico, he can play for Mexico, and he's not ready to tie himself to one team or the other. And you have to respect that. As I said last episode, you know, when it comes down to it, a player needs to make that decision themselves. They have to, you know, at the end of the day, they're the ones who have to live with it uh, going forward. Tie, and and they, you don't want a player to make a decision that they ultimately wind up regretting. So you want to give that player as much time as you can. Uh, I think it was a little surprising that Berhalter actually, you know, came out and admitted it and said that, yeah, you know, he, he he's not yet ready to commit. And I don't know if Berhalter was really trying to, you know, have a go at Araujo. I think he was just laying out the, the facts as they are. Um, and I don't know if anyone, I don't, honestly, I don't think anyone should knock Araujo because, you know, it's, it's a really, number one, it's a very important decision. Number two, it's a very difficult decision for Arahu, who obviously he's born in the U.S. He's come up in the U.S. youth national team system, but he has really strong ties to Mexico. His, fam his family's Mexican. He has, you know, he, one of his academy compadres, uh, Efrain Alvarez, who is now going to be part of the Mexican uh, Gold Cup squad. He, he is a player who, Alvar who Arahu knows and is now choosing to play for Mexico. So if you're Arahu and you're not yet fully committed, then you know what? You take your time. I did find it interesting that Berhalter kind of alluded to the idea that maybe Arahu isn't, you know, confident about his chances of be, of ultimately becoming either the starter or the number two at 
his position for the United States. And maybe he's kind of hedging in that regard because there's so much competition at the right back position uh, in for the United States that, you know, maybe he looks at Mexico and sees an opportunity there, pathway there uh, at right back where, you know, he can be the future of that position for Mexico. Whereas for the United States, there are so many right backs. When you talk about Sergio Dest, Brian Reynolds, Reggie Cannon, um, Aaron Herrera, Kyle Duncan, some MLS based players, Shaq Moore, who's now in with the squad, who's playing in Spain. So right now you have, I mean, that, that right off the bat, that's a half dozen uh, right backs who are all 25 and younger, and several of them are, are younger than that. So if you're Julian Araujo and you're kind of looking at it and you say, well, there's a lot of competition there. Brian Reynolds is at Roma, Dest is at Barcelona. Like, where do I fit into that pecking order? And it's it's not easy. And obviously, you, you know, you can definitely argue, well, why is he making – he shouldn't make decision based on where he can play. He should make the decision based on the country that he feels most tied to, most most more of an allegiance to, right? Well, that's everyone – everyone can decide how they want to ultimately – what they want to ultimately base their decision on. And if that's not what he wants to base his decision on, then that's his right. His That's his prerogative. So um, at least, you know, Berhalter, you know, came clean on it. He, he, he laid it out there. And something that people need to realize is that, you know what, at the end of the day, you're not going to get every single player. And I just feel like there's this still this kind of panic mood, this kind of automatic fear that kicks in that, oh, we didn't get this guy. Oh, we didn't get that guy. What's going on? What's wrong? And it's like you're not going to get every player. Every player is not going to just pick your team because you have this great team. You have all this young talent coming up. At, in certain situations, you're going to have players who, you know what, they feel more comfortable in another program or they feel more comfortable uh, with another group of players. Or in some cases, you have players who maybe look at it and say, I have a better chance to play with Team A than Team B. I'm going to choose Team A. And you know what? That's a player's decision. That's a player's prerogative. They can base their national team allegiances and futures on playing time if they want. It, you know, it, it, is it what, the, what, what I would do? Not, not necessarily. Obviously, I don't have that decision to make. And I'm sure most fans would say that's wrong and they, that's not what you should base your allegiances on. And that's, you know what, everyone can feel that way. But you know what, when it comes down to it, the player has to live with the decision. Um, and I'm not going to begrudge him if that's ultimately what, what he kind of bases it on. But look, U.S. fans, don't go crazy. Don't freak out because Arahu hasn't decided because Alvarez is choosing Mexico. And also, we'll talk about it a little bit later, Ayok Akinola choosing Canada. That's another interesting one, another uh, interesting turn of events. But guess what, folks? The U.S. has tons of strikers, promising striker prospects. Are they all the proven uh, commodity? Are they established Harry Kane, Robert Lewandowski type strikers? No, but there are a lot of promising, talented, young strikers. So there's no reason to panic yet just yet. I'll get into that a little bit more on the Akinola front. We'll stick with the Gold Cup roster. And another player who didn't make it was a recent SBI show guest, Julian Green. And we obviously had him on. I uh, had a chance to interview him on Monday. We had the show drop earlier this week. And if you kind of could read between the lines of the episode, you could kind of sense that, you know what, a decision hadn't been made on the Gold Cup. And it was it was far from a sure thing. And that's, it's, you know, quite frankly, why we didn't really delve into that and really dig into the Gold Cup aspect of things because it was still kind of a up in the air situation and you know we didn't really want to get into that at that point um, especially since it was since it was such a fluid situation here's what it comes down to for anyone who confused uh, or wondering what happened or you know is already kind of falling for misinformation that might be out there as far as the Julian Green situation what it really boils down to is all things being equal if Berhalter could call up Julian Green to play in a Gold Cup he would uh, but he has to look at a lot of different factors. And one another factor in the equation is the fact that Grutha Firth, Grutha Firth, the, uh, the Bundesliga team that Julian Green now plays for, uh, is preparing for its first season back in the Bundesliga. Julian Green is an important part of their setup. A strong start to the season for a promoted team is a big deal. And you can understand why Berhalter, at the end of the day, wanted to respect that, wanted to respect Julian Green's importance to his team heading into the season. Uh, and you want, you want to give him that opportunity to make sure that, you know, you don't cost him that position or you do anything to kind of, you know, damage a relationship that you hope you can cultivate with a club. And I know the the immediate question is going to be, well, why did why do other teams not have to do this? Why why do we look at a Mexican national team roster where so many of, you know, of their first choice players 
have been cleared or or were called up and, you know, European clubs be damned. Uh, and I, I'd say it's obviously a case by case basis. And uh, one thing I would say is when you look at that list of players that Mexico called in and Mexico and for those who hadn't seen it, we'll talk about it a little bit later. Mexico has called in a pretty damn close to first choice team. And when you look at the players that they did call in, what you will see as a kind of theme throughout those particular selections is those players are pretty well established with their teams. And there is a certain security that comes with being in that position where you are a guaranteed starter, an established player on a team. You you have more leeway. You have less of a concern or fear about you know your position if you go to a Gold Cup, how that could jeopardize your situation. It's a little different when you're a starter, established player, or if you're in a club that's in a settled situation. Because if you're at a club with a new coach, a new manager, uh, you should probably go to preseason with your new manager as opposed to the Gold Cup. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. If you don't want to risk your starting job. And the reason that matters is because World Cup qualifying is in September. And when it comes down to it, World Cup qualifying means significantly more than the Gold Cup. And I know some people will say, well, wait a minute. If that's the case, then why is Tata Martino calling in a first choice team? To the Gold Cup. And you know what? At the end of the day, Tata can do what he wants, right? I mean, if he feels the best thing for his team is to bring a close to full strength squad together for this Gold Cup to give them, give them uh, help build some continuity, I get that. I can understand that. But you can also understand that maybe the Mexican team needs a victory. Maybe they need to win a competition to help build up some morale. Because guess what? They lost the Nations League to the United States. They lost the final and that ha- that could not have helped their cause, right, in terms of the morale, in terms of just confidence heading into qualifying. So even more now, that Gold Cup matters because if you're Mexico, you let's say you lose the Nations League, which they did, and let's say you lose the Gold Cup, you don't win the Gold Cup final. You're going into qualifying suddenly a little bit shaken as, an, as, a, as, a, as a group, as an organization, as a, as a federation. So not to say that Tata Martino is like, you know, shaken in his boots, but I think he understands the value now and the importance now of reestablishing some of that confidence for Mexico. And, that, and, and that's why he's going to look at some of those guys like, like Irving Lozano, Edson Alvarez, and, and, and Hector Herrera and say, listen, guys, you're pretty established on your teams, on your club teams. I need you. I need you on this team. Sorry you're going to miss preseason, but I need us to win this Gold Cup. I need us to reestablish and reassert our dominance in CONCACAF, so you got to come. And, that, and those situations are completely different than... You know, if you're talking about the U.S. and the first choice players for the U.S. national team, Christian Pulisic is not a guaranteed lock starter at Chelsea. Serginho Dest is not a guaranteed lock starter at Barcelona, even more now that they they brought in a, a right back uh, to compete with him for the starting job. Gio Reyna, not necessarily guaranteed lock starter at Dortmund, although now you have to think his chances are pretty good that, with Jaden Sancho heading to Manchester United. But when you look at all those situations, you understand why it's important. For a lot of the American players that are Americans abroad, that a lot of the American players in Europe, they need to focus on their preseasons. You know what? Whether it's fighting for starting jobs, playing for new managers. Look at Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds is about to play for Jose Mourinho. You don't want to miss preseason with Jose Mourinho. You definitely don't. He's already going to have a tough time getting playing time as a young player under Jose Mourinho who has that pressure to succeed. And imagine if Brian Reynolds isn't there from preseason. So I I just think people need to be a little more, you know, understanding of of circumstances. And I just think it gets to be too easy for people to look at it and say, screw all that. Give us the first choice team. We want to win the Gold Cup. Who cares if all these guys, you know what, suddenly aren't playing as many minutes in their club teams? Think about that, right? What happens to the U.S. if a lot of these first choice guys suddenly are not getting playing time, heading into World Cup qualifying, that, that's a far worse situation than having a Gold Cup with a quote-unquote B team uh, not win the Gold Cup. That, that's, not, that's not the end of the world if you do that because now what this Gold Cup has become is an opportunity for Greg Berhalter to look at some players who can add some strength and depth to his first-choice group, a first-choice group that's going to be bigger because of the congested World Cup qualifying schedule. You can't get away with just 15 players or eight, or even 15 to 18. You need 23 to 26 
even, you know, 25 to 28 players to be able to work with and and rotate your squad. You're not going to have the same starting lineup for three straight qualifiers in eight days. You're just not going to do it, especially when two of those qualifiers in Central America. I mean, you're going to go play down in El Salvador and down in Honduras. You're not going to play the same 11 for three straight matches. Just not. Or unless you just want to drop points. That's not the ideal situation. So the Gold Cup, the reason you're going to have this Gold Cup, this B team. And I don't know why is anyone surprised by this. We've known this for months that the U.S. would focus on the Nations League, have the first choice group for the Nations League, and then have a secondary group for the Gold Cup and have the Gold Cup serve as an opportunity to look at some players who could play their way onto the World Cup qualifying squad. And that's what we're going to have. And is that the is that does that mean the U.S. is in a great position to win the Gold Cup? No, it definitely doesn't mean that. Mexico is without question the favorite to win the Gold Cup, but it's a great opportunity for a lot of these players, particularly a lot of these young players and some of the fringe players who are now trying to fight their way in to the first choice squad, like a Daryl DK. This is their perfect opportunity to showcase themselves. And for me, I think that is just as valuable as then trotting out your first choice A team to the Gold Cup and could potentially jeopardizing or, or you know, weakening their club situations. For me, that, that's just way too important to do. That's way too, too risky to do. Just for me, I don't do that. And, and obviously, Greg Berhalter has also made that decision. So we'll see what happens. With Julian Green, obviously, you kind of understand. And look at it this way. Julian Green, as far as Julian Green is concerned, if Julian Green gets off to a really strong start to the Bundesliga season, right? Let's say Firth gets off to a good start. Julian Green is a key part of that. Julian Green is playing well in the Bundesliga. He will be on the World Cup qualifying squad. I can pretty much guarantee that's going to happen. Because if you're Greg Berhalter and you already know everything that Julian Green has done and you already rate him highly, Greg Berhalter rates Julian Green. That needs to be laid out pretty clearly. Did he always? I'm not so sure. Did he always have him high on his depth chart? I don't, I don't know about that. I don't, I'm, I'm not convinced. But I, I am convinced that right now, Greg Berhalter sees the value. He had a chance to have Julian Green in camp. He had a chance to see what he's about. He had a chance to see how he fits into his system, how stylistically he is a good match. And I think he sees it now. And I think that's the reason why he really did try to push, not push Firth, but he really tried to convince Firth to have Green come and have it work out and have it be a good situation of him being at the Gold Cup. But at the end of the day, both sides agreed, no, he'll stay with Firth for the preseason. Obviously, it's a, you know, you would rather have had him for the Gold Cup, but you can see why he's not going to be there. Hopefully, he crushes it at the beginning of the Bundesliga season, and he's there in World Cup qualifying. And guess what? He could have that opportunity to get on the field and qualifiers, something he's never done, as he said in, the, in our last episode of the SBI show. Julian Green has played in and scored in the World Cup, but he has not played in a World Cup qualifier. And hopefully, he gets that opportunity. Moving on, we've already obviously rambled on a bunch. We have to talk about two guys that I was actually, I have to admit, I was surprised to see make the Gold Cup team, but who I who I absolutely would have put on the Gold Cup team if I was picking a team. And those two players are James Sands and Eric Williamson. And James Sands, for me, with his versatility, his on-the-ball skill, and his ever-improving defending, he is just, for me, I think he is an ideal candidate to fit in very well into Greg Berhalter's system in terms of just being a, a, a defender who can play with the ball, who can pass the ball out of the back, but also who can handle defensive duties and who also can play in a variety of systems. James Sands has experience playing in the three-back, probably more than, I mean, I could be wrong here, but I think he, he might have as many games in the three-back as any of the other guys. He's also played in the four-back uh, two center backs, regular flat back four. He's also played as a defensive midfielder. So he has, he brings all that to the table. So for me, I think it's great that Berhalter acknowledged it. And Berhalter did, did shed some light into the the fact that he had wanted to call him sooner, call him in sooner. And for the longest time, I was like, what is going on? Why isn't James Sands getting a look? Why wasn't he on the Olympic qualifying squad? And Berhalter basically laid it out that, you know, injuries are what ultimately played a part. Otherwise, he would have been there in December in the U.S. camp, January in the U.S. camp, and more than likely the Olympic qualifying setup if he had been healthy. So that's all in the past at this point. What matters now is James Sands is in there, and I think he could be a great fit, much like Eric Williamson, a player who, for me, it absolutely drove me nuts that 
he didn't make the Olympic qualifying team. And I don't think there was any excuse there. I don't think there was any injury issue. He just didn't get selected. That was a Jason Christ call. Jason Christ chose other players. And I think Eric Williamson is the exact kind of player between his on-the-ball ability and his toughness and his, you know, he just, I think he brought an edge. He could have brought an edge to a team that absolutely was lacking in not only on, you know, quality on the ball, ability to maintain possession, but also that bite, that edge, that toughness. The U.S. Olympic qualifying team was not tough enough. That's what it really boiled down to. And I, I, I know I said it a few episodes ago. At some point, I would get into the Olympic qualifying debacle because I didn't get a chance to really dig into it because I was sick at the time. But one thing, one takeaway for me for that team was that that team was soft. And part of the reason that team was soft because of the squad that Jason Christ put together. And I really believe J- Eric Williamson could have helped in that regard, which is why I'm, it's, I think it's great that Greg Brawlter is bringing him in. He's earned it. He has, not only has he had the quality, but he has been delivering on the field for the Portland Timbers, playing really well, playing in a variety of roles, by the way, because he has that versatility to him. And for me, I mean, I don't know, maybe we give him a little look in a deeper role. Maybe he, you know, obviously you have Jackson uh, Ewell, you have Kellen Acosta as your defensive midfield options, but if you're going to look at someone else in that role, maybe you have a look at Eric Williamson. So great to see Sands and Williamson in. Now we're going to talk about some of the surprises uh, real quick. Um, one one surprise for me, I, th- I got to say, Donovan Pines, a player who, look, he's played well for DC United, right? And he has some, he clearly has some good qualities. Uh, his, you know, defensively, he's a very solid defender, puts up some big stats. He, he deals with a lot, cleaning up a lot of messes at DC United. I am curious about his on-the-ball ability, about his his technical quality, his passing ability. Is it good enough for the system? And something we have seen in the past with Burhalter is his penchant for pairing, you know, physically gifted defenders with the technically gifted defenders and having that kind of uh, compatibility or that kind of, you have, you know, you bring both those together and they each kind of complement each other well. So maybe he sees Pines as that. Uh, Pines could be better technically, but he clearly is he, he's very good in the air. He's strong physically. He gets in on the tackle. He actually moves better than you would think for someone his size. Um, obviously, everyone's going to look at, you know, recently he got torched against NYCFC. It wasn't his, his best moment by any means, but... You know, I think that's a little harsh to kind of judge him on that one moment, that one goal, that one play. I think he's still he's an interesting prospect. I think he's a good player. I, I'm I'm a little surprised that he got called in, but clearly Berhalter sees something there. And part of it is the fact that he ha- he has that experience playing in a three center back system. And I think Berhalter wants to get more reps in his with his group playing in three in a three back, and he needs to have players that can play in that. And um, something that needs to be reminded, and I mentioned this, I was actually on a, on a show with Jason Davis uh, a day or two ago, and one thing I did point out is that we need to remember all the center backs who were not available, who, who are in the mix here, when you're talking about, obviously, the Nations League center backs with, uh, you know, John Brooks, Mark McKenzie, then you have Matt Miazga, then you have, uh, obviously, Chris Richards, Cameron Carter-Vickers, and Eric Palmer-Brown, who are all currently dealing with establishing their next club situation whether it's going on another loan staying with their parent club but they're all still dealing with that and if they weren't dealing with that there's a good chance that any one of them could have been part of the gold cup setup because look chris richards absolutely for me when he's healthy when he's available he could you can absolutely argue he's a top four center back in the entire pool eric palmer brown cameron carter vickers you can absolutely argue if they were available they would be on this team and they could potentially start for this gold cup team but they're not available. They're dealing with their new club situations. They need to establish that. They need to get those things sorted out and join their new teams and get and get acclimated into the new season. So you get that. But let's remember that. Let's remember that that is available, that that quality is available. Um, and Berhalter actually, I'll, <laughs> I was a little surprised, but he was pretty frank about it and saying that, look, we're a little thin at center back at this point. And this is why you have a Donovan Pines who's a bit of a, who's obviously clearly a bit of a project. So we'll see. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't cr- knock that selection so much uh, as say I was a little surprised by it. But in terms of a, a selection that I just have, I just don't have a defense for. I don't see a defense for. I think Greg Berhalter just has a real blind spot with this guy is Jonathan Lewis. And as much as there's not a ton of available natural wing options particularly when you talk about left-sided wing options as much as that may be the case 
Jonathan Lewis is not in, like, I don't, like, how do you justify it? Be like, okay, in January, he showed well, right? In the January camp, he played in friendly. He did well there. But after that, let's let's break it down. After that, Olympic qualifying. Did he do well in Olympic qualifying? Absolutely not. Jonathan Lewis was terrible in Olympic qualifying. There's no other way to say it. He was absolutely terrible in Olympic qualifying. Then you go into the MLS season. Has he had a good MLS season? No. He has shown some flashes, but he doesn't. He's not even a consistent starter for the Rapids at this point. And he he's had his moments. I will give him that. He's had his moments. And I think that's maybe what continues to hook Berhalter is that he sees the moments. He sees the flashes. He sees the potential for a player who can be a difference maker off off the bench, right? I think that's. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. But I I don't know. Is that do you put do you spend a roster spot? on a 23-man roster for someone who could potentially give you that off the bench. I don't. I, I personally don't think so. Um, and, of course, you know, you can always make the point, well, maybe he's not even there if Caden Clark's available. Maybe Caden Clark, what, like, he maybe he is the player who replaced Caden Clark. I, I guess. I just think there, I just don't see how you justify his selection based on, like, what do you base it on? Based, you know, in terms of MLS play this year, no. Olympic qualifying, no. He was terrible. And I don't know. I just don't see it. Um, he, he, he has ability. Let's, let's be real. He has some talent. He's shown it. He has these glimpses where he, you know, he'll, he'll pop up and he'll drop some goals, some assists. He has something to him, but like he has, like, let's think about when has he ever put together a really considerable, uh, consistent run of form where he has consistently played well on the pro level. He just hasn't. He really just hasn't. So for me, that, that I don't know. I, I think that's a bit of a blind spot for Berhalter. But you know what? Coaches are going to have their guys. National team coaches are going to have players that they consistently choose who no one can quite get why. And that, that ha- this happens to be Jonathan Lewis happens to be that guy um, on this U.S. men's national team. Uh, and now wrapping it up, just looking at it real quick. Uh, just breaking down the squad here. I know there was some compl- I know there's definitely complaints about this the, about the midfield selections and the defensive midfield. And I knew that was coming. Kellen Acosta and Jackson Ewell. I said I always said they were both going to be on this team, and people still acted surprised. And it's because look, Jackson Ewell is not in the best run of form for San Jose. But let, like there's been, there's a little bit of revisionist history going on right now with Jackson Ewell in the in the sense of Olympic qualifying. The Olympic, the U.S. Olympic qualifying team did not qualify, but Jackson Ewell did his part. Jackson Ewell, I thought, played very well in that tournament. He was one of the few bright spots there. But you know how people are. They have to make their points, and they like to, you know, group it all together. The fact that he hasn't played well for San Jose, the fact that he didn't really play well in the recent national team appearances that he's had. And then you kind of want to group in the Olympic qualifying debacle thinking that you can, but I don't know. I don't happen to think you can. I think Jackson Ewell actually was one of the few bright spots there. So for me, you know what? I don't have a problem with Jackson Ewell getting, getting called in. And Kellen Acosta absolutely should get called in because as of right now, he's the number two behind Tyler Adams based on what he was able to do in June. So for me, you know what? I know there there were other candidates. There were other potential defensive midfield options. But I have no problem with those two at all. I don't have any problem with that. And then Christian Roldan is another player who's kind of wound up on the list of players that certain segments of the U.S. men's national fan base absolutely hate and absolutely don't want to have any part of the team. And I, I just think it's, I just think it's ridiculous. Just because you know what he continues to play at a very high level in MLS. He's one of the best players. He's this season is one of the best players in MLS. There's just no debate. There's just no debating it. He's one of the best players in MLS this year, and he's you know on the best team in MLS right now. So he absolutely belongs on the team and absolutely deserves this opportunity to show that he can bring something to the table. And something that I've said in the past that I'll say again: I want to see Christian Roldan in a deeper role. If you're Greg Berhalter and you're still looking for number six candidates, you're still looking for players who can be in that deep role where they can distribute the ball, they can give you possession, they can they can they can keep the ball. I think Christian Roldan can handle that role, and he should have that opportunity to do that. But Berhalter has consistently played him in a more advanced role, and he hasn't necessarily done well or had a, a, a big impact 
in his national team appearances. And that's part of the reason why a lot of U.S. fans are over it. They're over Christian Roldan. They don't want to see this experiment anymore. They don't want to see the Christian Roldan experiment. They want to move on to younger players, younger options. Let's get the younger guys in here. Christian Roldan is washed up at, what, 26? I mean, I think it's pretty hilarious. But I want to see him as a defensive midfielder because I think he could do the job there. I know I said the same thing about Eric Williamson, but you know what? In Greg Berhalter's system, the deep-lying midfield role is not necessarily about being a destroyer. It's actually being about a dis- about being a distributor, about being someone who can be that link from the back line to the attack, someone who can keep the ball, someone who can handle the pressure that's going to come with opposing teams trying to shut you down as that focal point, as that, uh, you know, as that fulcrum. Because uh, opposing teams are, are fully aware that that player, that that role has a big responsibility in terms of distribution. And teams know that and, and, and specifically go out to try to neutralize that. So if you're Berhalter, you, you know, in an ideal world, you find a player who can handle that role, who can keep the ball, distribute the ball, deal with the pressure, and obviously you know, make a couple of tackles. But no, the defensive midfield role in Greg Berhalter's system is not about tackling left and right. It's not about ball winning. It's not about being a bulldog, old school defensive midfielder. No, that's not what it's about. Those qualities are good to have, and Tyler Adams has all those qualities, but it's also about being good on the ball. So it's also about being able to make a killer pass from deep, uh, break some lines, carry a ball forward into the attack, be a third man, uh, you know, make that third man run, come in and, and, and clean things up, be that kind of dynamic player. Tyler Adams can do all of these things. He can do it all. Tyler Adams can do a lot. So that's why he is the guy. But there's really not much else behind him in terms of that kind of versatility. But what you do have in the player pool is a lot of central midfielders now who have an edge to them, enough of an edge, enough of a, you know, defensive, enough defensive quality as box-to-box guys to play in the distributor role as a deeper, you know, in a deeper role. So Eric Williamson, Christian Roldan. I know some people are asking about Gianluca Busio. Can Busio be there? I, I, I don't know about Busio just because, I mean, not yet. Uh, let me say that. Not yet. I think he could eventually develop into that type of role. But I, I, I think I want to see some of these other guys first, some of these older guys first. So we'll see. I know I've got a, a whole rant about this, this, the whole defensive midfield thing, but ju- I just wanted to kind of get into that. Absolutely. Because um, I know it's an interesting topic. Last but not least, the striker position is an interesting one on this Gold Cup team. Because you obviously have Jassy Zardes and Daryl DK. That's your two. No surprise there. But the fact that Berhalter has brought in a couple of strikers to play as wingers in Nicholas Giacchini and Matthew Hoppe. I know some people were like, well, what the heck is going on here? Why are you playing these guys out of position? Why don't you go get some wingers, real wingers? There's wingers available. Chris Mueller, Corey Baird. What is going on? What are you doing, Greg Berhalter? And what I would say is people need to understand two things. Number one. The first team, the first choice squad, when you think about wingers, right? Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Brendan Aronson, Timothy Weah, potentially eventually Conrad De La Fuente. You've got some very, very good winger options coming up and developing and already established. But you also have several, several striker options. And Berhalter just hasn't been able to see as many of those. As often as he like, because again, you only bring so many strikers in. So right now, what I think you see is a situation where Berhalter has, he has seen a lot of his best wing guys. He knows who his best wing, winger options are. He can go six deep with, play, with wingers that he knows and, and likes and rates as his top winger options. So he already knows about those guys. What he needs to see more of is some of these strikers. And when you only play one striker in a one striker system but you have a half dozen striker prospects or more to look at, how do, you see, how do you look at these guys? How do you get a chance to see these guys? How do you get a chance to get to know them, bring them into your system, see how they understand the system and, and, and interpret the system? How do you do that when you have limited options? What you do is you find the ones that can play in other positions and bring them in and have them play there, and then you get the opportunity to see them and work with them and to get to know them and see how... Maybe in training, you get to throw them at striker when you get a chance here and there, but you're getting them into your setup. So for me, I think it's an absolutely fair trade-off to say, you know what, I'm going to not bring in some natural wingers who would be like my fourth and fifth choice wingers. 
when I can bring in some extra strikers who are versatile, but who are strikers who could potentially be competing for the top striker roles. And that's why for me, I have no problem with a Giacchini or a Hoppy getting called in and getting the opportunity to play in those roles. And I know, I, I already see it. And th- some of this stuff is laughable but just or, or hilarious to me just because everyone's going to have their favorites. Everyone's going to have the guys they hate and they don't want to see again. Jossie's artist is clearly a guy that a lot of U.S. fans, a, a fair amount of U.S. fans, especially the ones who don't rate MLS, don't like MLS, don't want to see Jossie's artist ever again. They want to see Matthew Hoppy. Even though, you know what, I mean... When you talk about bodies of work, okay, all well and good. Matthew Hoppy had a really, uh, really promising second half bonus of, of the Bundesliga season. He was one of the few bright spots on a Schalke team that was the worst team in the Bundesliga. But you don't all of a sudden forget that Jesse's artist has considerable experience and has delivered in the national team setup and continues to be one of the best strikers in MLS. That matters as much as people don't. Some people don't want to believe that matters. And some people still want to think Matthew Hoppy cannot be, absolutely must be better than Jossie's artist. He just has to be because he plays in Germany. I don't buy that. Sorry. We, we will see what Hoppy can do, and he'll get that opportunity now in this camp. But the idea that, you know what, we don't need to see Jossie's artist anymore because we have these other strikers, I don't know about that. Especially when World Cup qualifying is coming along, and you want to have experience at the striker position. So... Um, I totally understand that, um, why you would bring in those strikers. And Giacchini as well. I really want to see Giacchini. I mean, I think he, sh- he, he should, for me, he showed quite a bit uh, in, in the November setup in those games. Uh, you know, he, show- he had some quality to him, absolutely. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Giacchini and, and Hoppy can do. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to – Chris Mueller, I think, yes. Has he earned an opportunity? Did he look good in January? Absolutely. But I understand why you're seeing these strikers come in to play these roles. Uh, and that's it on the Gold Cup squad. I, I'm sure there's going to be plenty to talk about as the weeks weeks uh, draw on and move along. Um, in terms of the rest of the of the Gold Cup rosters and what have you, Mexico obviously bringing in a really a really really strong squad. Not their entire A team, but a lot of their first choice players, and that's going to really set them up to be the favorites to win the Gold Cup. And the pressure's on Tata Martino. It's win, it's winner go home. It's winner or you're fired. I gotta say. I got, I got, I got to put it out there. Even though, you know what? Do I think he gets fired? No, I don't think Tata Martino gets fired from the goal uh, for losing the Gold Cup or not winning the Gold Cup. But the pressure is going to be on, and you know how it works. We've seen it over and over for decades now. Mexican national team fans and the Mexican media will absolutely chew you up and spit you out as a coach if the results don't go your way. And Nations League, you can chalk it up to whatever you want to chalk it up to. But if you now with this stacked deck don't win the Gold Cup. I don't know. I don't see a lot of excuses that you could make. So we will see uh, another interesting point. Alfonso Davies joining the Canada Gold Cup setup. Uh, I know some people are surprised by that, but look, Alfonso Davies is a lock starter for Bayern Munich. He has the cachet to say, I want to play in a Gold Cup. Canada can call him up and there's nothing Bayern can do about it. Because if you're Bayern Munich, what are you going to do? You're going to bench Alfonso Davies? No. So he can do what he wants and he wants to play in a Gold Cup. And that's a great opportunity for him, and it definitely, you know, boosts Canada's prospects and makes them an even more dangerous option, a more dangerous proposition when you talk about the group stage against the United States. So that I'm looking forward to that, seeing uh, as a little preview for World Cup qualifying. Let's not forget the U.S. men's national team plays Canada in September uh, in uh, in the United States, I believe. Yeah, that that's the U.S. home game uh, in between the two trips to Central America in September. So a little preview there. And speaking of Canada. Ayo Akinola chooses to play for Canada. No surprise there. Um, even though he was in the U.S. men's national team setup in December, he was he, he was invited to camp. He went to camp. He played in the friendly, scored a goal, I believe, in the friendly in December against El Salvador. But when it came down to it, he had his chance to be around the U.S. team. And he eventually got a chance to be around the Canadian team. And he has chosen to play for Canada. And it's, you know what, it, it obviously would have been better if you're a U.S. fan or if you're a U.S. soccer, it would have been better to have him be an option to be another one of the many young strikers in the in the pipeline. But he grew up in Canada. And if you can understand if he has, if he feels more of a connection with the Canadian team, with the Canadian players, but it can't be forgotten and it shouldn't be ignored that when it comes down to it, the United States are the national team program 
that identified him, that gave him the opportunity, that developed him and had him play more than 60 matches in US nat- on multiple U.S. national team uh, youth teams. I mean, he played in the Under-17 World Cup. He, uh, you know, he would have played in the Under-20 World Cup if, if he hadn't gotten an injury. He was part of the CONCACAF Championship Under-20 team in 2018. So he had, he had a lot of ties to the United States set up, a lot. So I think that's what kind of makes it obviously disappointing. But you got to go where you feel like you fit in and where you feel more tied to. And you just feel like maybe that's where Akinola feels like more of a a bond with or more of a connection with. So, uh, you know what? Good for Canada. Uh, They obviously have some good striker options when you talk about Jonathan David and Kyle Aaron and and Lucas Cavallini. So they they had some pretty good strikers, some pretty good forwards. And Akinola is going to help add some more depth there. And another player who is, who is you know, gone with another national team, again, not a real surprise, is Efrain Alvarez, uh, who will be on the Mexican Gold Cup team and will be kept tied when he makes his appearance, if and when he makes an appearance in the Gold Cup. Uh, that one has felt, again, a bit like it's been coming for some time now. And interestingly enough, Akinola and Alvarez were both in that December camp. And it was kind of, as we look at it now, it's kind of become that last chance to win you over camp. And in the cases of those two, Akinola and Alvarez, they've chosen to go with other countries. I got to say, though, Efren Alvarez, right? Promising midfielder. He has talent. He has skill. I mean, he scored that um, uh, amazing winner for the Galaxy a couple of weeks ago. But I'm a little surprised that Tata Martino would give him a roster spot. Like, you're telling me that in that entire Mexican player pool of available players... And established players, established full-time starters with experience and quality playing on a regular basis, you you couldn't find anyone else but over Efren Alvarez to, to fill out your Gold Cup squad. I, I mean, I feel like that very much is all about cap tying Efren Alvarez and tying, trying to lock him up and trying to rush him into a decision a la Jonathan Gonzalez. And you know what? At the end of the day, Efren Alvarez is going to have to live with that decision. And if a year or two from now, once he's cap tied, he is completely not in the picture with the Mexican national team, and suddenly the whining and dining is ended and stopped, then maybe he's going to look at that situation and say, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't have rushed into it. But everyone has to make their own decisions in life, and we will see what Alvarez. I mean, I hope he makes it. I hope he, you know, actually plays in the Gold Cup, does well in the Gold Cup. He's got talent. I mean, the guy can pull. Efrain Alvarez can pull magic out of his hat. There's no question. But he has yet to show himself to be a consistent, full-time club team player. And that's pretty rare that you have a player who has never really established himself as a full-time, first-team, 90-minute player. But here he is getting a a, a Gold Cup call-up. It's a little surprising, but you know what? Hats off to him and hats off to Akinola on decisions that they have made. Um, I think the U.S. will be okay uh, in, in those positions. So... Moving on now, we're, 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 I know we're dragging on, surprisingly enough. I'm, I'm waiting for my family to interrupt me here as I'm trying to record uh, while they're at the beach. Uh, uh, Conrad De La Fuente on the Americans Abroad front has officially tra- uh, moved to Marseille in a full transfer. Barcelona maintains 50% sell-on, which is basically they own half of Conrad De La Fuente's future uh, rights in terms of if, if Marseille were to sell De La Fuente, if De La Fuente lights it up in, in, in France. And, and suddenly becomes a big-time transfer target, then Barcelona has a chance to, to score a big chunk of the, of the next transfer. And great move for Conrad De La Fuente. Liga is a strong league, a quality league, and a good place for him to really kind of uh, have his first breakthrough as a first-team player. I think he has that quality. Um, we all saw what Tim Weah was able to do with Lille and really kind of just rejuvenate his career after the injuries that he had. And hopefully Conrad De La Fuente gets that opportunity with Marseille. Moving on, we have to talk U.S. women's national team. And obviously, the Olympics are right around the corner. They'll be here before you know it. Nine days away, I want to say, before the start. And the U.S. women played the first of their two pre-Olympic matches, their send-off series matches. They beat Mexico 4-0. And the big storyline for me, Tobin Heath comes off the bench, scores a golazo, 30-yard blast. And it really, I I mean, for me, when I saw it, it felt like a... It kind of thumbs, a kind of a, a an F, not a, I don't want to get vulgar here, but it was kind of a, a thumbing your nose at the critics who questioned why Vladko Abdanovsky would spend a roster spot on a player who is injured and who has been injured and hadn't played months. Why would you do that? Well, that's why. 
Tobin Heath showed you why. Because she is a special, special talent who, when healthy, is one of the best players in the world. And the fact that she was able to come off the bench, score that amazing goal, and just show you, listen, I'm ready to go. I'm going to be ready to go. I'll be there in Japan ready to contribute. And now you understand why Adonazki did what he did and why people needed to calm the hell down about her getting a roster spot. And look, if she wasn't ready, if she wasn't healthy, if she if she really wasn't going to be able to bring it, you were going to see a change on the roster. You absolutely were. So that's why she was on there. I said that last episode. But then she comes off the bench and scores that goal, and you're kind of like, well, I guess she's okay. And I guess people can calm down about Tobin Heath being on this roster. Much like Christy Mewis, who I don't know how many people went crazy about her not about her being selected. I think it was more about you know Katerina Macario not making the team, and it, you know I think most people kind of just agreed that or believed that Mewis made it over Macario. But Mewis obviously played well against Mexico, showing her quality. Look, she had, she's heading into the Olympics in good form, and that's why she made the team, and that's why she could absolutely play a big part in Japan. Last but not least, Kristen pressed two goals. She continues to crush it. I mean, she she is setting herself up to be really be the star for the U.S. or one of the stars for the U.S. at the Olympics. The way she is scoring goals, setting up goals, she's an absolute goal machine right now, both goals and assists uh, heading into the Olympics, uh, and it's great to see her in that kind of form. Now we're wrapping up. We're going to talk MLS and uh, first things first. And the San Jose Earthquakes, the, their season's really gone uh, really gone down the tubes just in terms of results and and Matias Almeida it's kind of crazy when you think about the fact that here's a guy who you know by all accounts everyone kind of thought oh he was going to take off he was going to leave San Jose take one of the dozen jobs that were being thrown his way but he's chose to stick with San Jose and you know what it hasn't quite worked out in San Jose um they're right now they're sitting in 11th place in the Western Conference they have three wins out of 11 seven losses most losses in the in the Western Conference, tied for the most losses in the league. And as a result, the Earthquakes have uh, parted ways with general manager Jesse Fiorinelli. And honestly, I've said it before for anyone who's listened to the show in years past, this is a move that is a long time coming. I just have never really been impressed. Jesse Fiorinelli, during his time in charge, the only thing he ever did that even seemed halfway respectable or halfway impressive was hiring Matias Almeida. And who knows to this day how much of that was him want, him being able to convince Matias Almeida and how much of it was Matias Almeida falling into his lap because Matias Almeida wanted to coach in MLS and saw San Jose as a great opportunity. So Fiorinelli, I thought, I, honestly, I just, I, I felt for some time now that he was just a really terrible general manager. And hopefully San Jose now will have that opportunity to go and find a, a quality general manager, someone who can really build a team that can make that can help Matias Almeida as a coach because Almeida is a very good coach. I don't want I, you know as much as some people will look at his results in MLS, they'll say, "Oh, wait a minute, maybe he's not as good as you think." No, Matias Almeida is an ex- excellent coach, excellent head coach. He just has not had the the teams and the personnel to succeed. I, I, I mean, in my opinion, I just don't think he's had it, and part of that is because Fiorinelli is was an incompetent general manager so we'll see what the earthquakes do who they hire uh because the you know that i want to I, I would like to see almeida build a winner there now we'll wrap up we'll talk about the matches in mls first things first austin fc smacked the portland timbers four to one on thursday that was a bit of a stunner to me it was a full strength timbers team and austin fc they've shown some glimpses right they, i mean that was only their third win in 12 matches but we've seen at times, them play some very good soccer. And they have that potential, even though they're an expansion team. They have that potential to put together some good stretches, some good minutes. Not as often have they put put together complete games, but that was very much a complete victory over a very good Portland Timbers team. So I was a little surprised by that and impressed by that. And in terms of the weekend, MLS this weekend, three matches stand out for me. I'm not going to get into every match because this, this is going to be a two-hour podcast. But Columbus Crew New England Revolution, uh, you, you absolutely have to look at that as, a, as a, match, a match you find your way to watch. New England is leading the Eastern Conference uh, right now. They're two points up on Orlando. They've had a very, very good season. They're coming off that loss to FC Dallas, which was a bit of a surprise. But they're still Bruce Arena squad, very, very strong team. Against a Columbus Crew team that has underachieved uh, this season. They, they haven't really, I mean, as good as they are, as good as their roster is, 
you know, their result, the results haven't, haven't really been there. I mean, they're four, three and three, which is respectable, right? You, you, you'll say that it's a respectable, uh, run for them. But I mean, even just looking at the last couple of games now for the crew, I mean, they've gone two straight matches without, without scoring a goal. I mean, they've been shut out for two straight matches. So you want to see what Caleb Porter's team does against a very good New England side. Uh, and there'll be, I believe it's at the new stadium. Uh, I could be wrong there, but I think it's at the new Columbus Crew Stadium. Uh, I think that's going to just add to it, you know, what could be a potential Eastern Conference final preview. And then the other big game this weekend, LA Galaxy, Sporting Kansas City. Uh, the two, for me, the two hottest strikers, most informed strikers in MLS right now, Chicharito and Daniel Shaloy. And I know you'd say, wait a minute, how are those two in the same category? Look, Shaloy is is tearing it up for the for Sporting Kansas City. He's a big reason SKC has been on the run that they've been on, closing the gap on Seattle atop the Western Conference. And the LA Galaxy, obviously, Chicharito is crushing it, scoring goals in bunches, playing out of his mind right now. Greg Vanny has done a really excellent job of putting the pieces in place to provide the service that gets the most out of Chicharito. And obviously, Chicharito is just in a better mood, in a better place uh, emotionally and mentally. And you see the quality now that we didn't see last year. Sporting KC is going to be a tough one, though. We'll see if he can keep it going against that pretty tough squad. Uh, I'm actually in Florida, and I could go see Orlando City and the Red Bulls play in Orlando. I think that's another match to watch. Unfortunately, I'm on vacation, and I'm pretty sure my wife would would probably divorce me if I drag them to a soccer game when we could be chilling out at Clearwater Beach. Although, full disclosure, we did that the last time I was down in Florida on vacation. We did go to an Orlando City Red Bulls game in Orlando, and it was actually a great, great environment, great, great, uh, great match to go see. We're not going to do it this time, but if you have a chance to watch, Orlando City Red Bulls should be an absolutely good game. Uh, you get a chance to see Daryl DK light it up before he heads off to the Gold Cup uh, against a Red Bulls team that has some really good young talent there. Not Caden Clark. I don't think Caden Clark's playing in this game, but... Uh, still a good Red Bulls team, and I think that's going to be a good one to watch. I think we've covered it all now. Uh, I, I, I'm sure I've rambled on. I'm sure I've, I've, you know, I've have forgotten plenty, but I think I've touched on everything that I wanted to touch on this episode to get into the weekend. Uh, definitely, thank you for listening, and uh, you know, I'll be back to normal. Uh, I want to say Tuesday. We'll have a Tuesday episode to catch things up. I'm returning. I'll be home back home on Monday, so I'll be looking to try to record in my home studio on Monday. Uh, but that's all for now. Thank you for listening. I'm Ivis Galarza. This is the SBI Show.